Welcome back to Legendary Habitat Podcast. This is Colin Costin, your host. I'm excited to uh, kind of dive back into the uh, podcasting uh, schedule. I've taken a little bit of break over the hunting season, and I uh, hope everybody had a great season. Uh, I know I, I had an awesome season, was, was blessed with a lot of awesome opportunities, and uh, ended up uh, tagging two really nice Michigan bucks, uh, one on our uh, permission property down in uh, southern Michigan, and then uh, one on our uh, 35 acre farm up in uh, Manistee County. So just, uh, you know, overall great season, passed a lot of deer, uh, a lot of younger bucks. And uh, yeah, I got to uh, do a lot of cool things, uh, to hunt a little bit with my dad, which is fun. And uh, so, yeah, I hope everybody had an awesome season. And uh, I'm excited to jump back into, uh, back into the podcast routine. I'm gonna start cranking them out here. Uh, hopefully we'll get on some type of schedule here. I'd like to do one every, you know, one every two weeks is kind of what I'm thinking. So um, be sure to kind of be checking back around that time frame. Um, so, but I'm excited for uh, this first episode kind of starting back off into uh, habitat season. Hope everybody's had an awesome 2022 and uh, happy new year to everybody who's listening to this. Uh, we're just going to be releasing this this coming week and uh, it's January 2nd right now. So. I'm excited to kind of kick off the new year uh, with the exciting podcast and having uh, Jake Hendrickson back on here. Uh, if you guys don't remember who Jake Hendrickson was, uh, we did a video podcast, um, his basically property layout um, over on the west side of the state that he just purchased. So if you haven't checked that out, go check that out on my YouTube channel. Um, that was podcast, I believe, uh, number five on YouTube. So that was pretty fun. Got to go over a lot of different aspects of his property, how he's setting it all up. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit of a recap on uh, where he's at with that. And uh, that's some of what we're going to talk about. So I'm excited to, to bring him on here and uh, kind of dive into a bunch of habitat topics for uh, this 2023 habitat season. And uh, so without further ado, we'll get Jake on here. Are you there, Jake? Yep, I'm here. All right. We are back. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there, but uh, I think we got to figure it out now. <laughs> we're all set now. Yeah, so um so yeah, new year, 2023. We're excited to uh dive back into uh habitat and uh Yeah, habitat season is underway. That's right. Yeah, we got uh a lot of different things. I know I got a lot of different things planned for this year and sounds like you do too, so Yeah, and you you had a pretty good season, man. I did. Not, we don't want to like, you know, jump over that. Congratulations on the two bucks. That was that's <laughs> That's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, it was exciting for sure to uh, come down down south here to a permission property, of doing a little work too, and uh, um, be able to connect on a great buck, especially with my dad being in the tree with me. That was pretty fun. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I um, actually there's there's a little bit of a backstory. I actually was following a buck uh, at that same property, and uh, he was. I think he was five and a half is kind of what wow. we rough aged him at, you know, on the hoof. Um, I don't know if the guy who actually shot, if he sent, uh, sent his jawbone out. 
He's actually a client of mine, and uh, he's got property surrounding this permission farm. And uh, the farm that I'm hunting is just 30, uh, yeah, it's just 30 acres. And um, so he actually, I, I had several different pictures of this buck, kind of late through September and then beginning of October. And uh, so I actually went in there, we had that cold front that came through right about October 7th. Yep. And uh, so I went through and uh, ended up sitting right off the edge of a bean field, right in this kind of natural funnel pinch point. And um, that uh, my friend and client ended up uh, killing that buck on their farm probably about 300, 400 yards from me that evening. So he so was moving. Was, yep, he was moving. Yeah, I saw, I think I saw eight different bucks that night. Um, so it was, yeah, it was phenomenal buck movement for that early in October. Yeah, that was a pretty good weekend. Our cameras were blown up on that weekend. Yep, yep, for sure. So that was pretty exciting. So yeah, it was it was cool. You know, I, I'd love to to be able to uh, get a crack at that that buck, but I was I was beyond happy for him that you know he he put a lot of time into that deer and on their farm and stuff. So that, that's always cool. It was cool to just kind of experience the whole thing and be there, take pictures and everything. So yeah, well sometimes even like when you get those pictures from the client, that's pretty rewarding. You know, oh yeah. You hear, hear about like sometimes it's their first buck or their yeah their first buck off the new property or. A lot of times, like it's their kids too. Like, hey, my kid just shot it, shot his first buck ever. You know, you know, thanks for helping me. You know, identify this location as a stand location, and you know, they send you a picture of the the buck and the their face or their kid's face, huge smile on it. Like, oh man, that's so cool. Oh yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, it's very rewarding for sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I know. Uh, last let last podcast we did, we kind of were going over your property a little bit. And uh, your kind of your design layout and everything. So if you wanted to, I don't know how much you've exactly got done on the property, but if you want to kind of go into some things you're starting to implement in the property now, um, kind of dive into that, and then uh, sure. we'll start hitting on some other uh, topics that we want to dive into. Yes. So yeah, the last time we talked about, uh, or last on the last podcast for my property, we talked about how I really need to implement food plots. Like if I'm really the surrounding area is nothing but timber cover. There's, there's very little ag, very little food. Yeah. And so one of the biggest needs my property has is I, I need to have some sort of a fall food source. And so one of the things that we need to do to put in a food source is we got to cut down a lot of trees because we have basically open hardwoods, kind of like that park effect woodlot where you can see for a couple hundred yards in every direction. Yeah. And, you can't really plant a food plot in that in that setting. So the first step that we need to take is we got to cut down a lot of trees. And so that's kind of what I've been doing right now. I've been working on cutting down a lot of trees. And where I'm cutting right now is eventually most likely going to be more of a bedding area or several bedding areas. It's going to be on the south side of my food plot. And then on the north half of that bedding cut, I'm going to put more of a like long linear plot with kind of fingers kind of going out into those bedding areas. And that way I can access along my north property line can come into that food plot or come into the movement going into that food plot and then that further south from that from the food plot is going to be those bedding areas which are going to, are going to be basically left alone kind of just give that back to the deer and i can kind of hunt those bedding areas with a couple different pinch points on one side or the other so okay. it's kind of tough without a picture but basically right now what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to cut down as many trees as i can to get as much sunlight to the forest floor as possible so for one my bedding areas have as much new growth as possible get this place as thick as possible because 
there's not really a thick area around like that the deer can really kind of gravitate towards and fall. And then on the north side of that, just try to get as many trees down as possible to then plant a food plot so I can try to hold the deer throughout the hunting season. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't have deer, like I don't have a ton of deer around me at this in this property for whatever reason. So one thing I need to do is I got to try to draw in some does that way, I, when when the bucks come through, they stick around for a little bit. Yep, yep, for sure. Especially yep. if you can get enough screening cover, uh, especially around your food sources and kind of those uh, remote locations. You know, kind of for for those different, uh, you know, several different bucks to yeah. kind of have the, the space and the depth of cover. You know, to kind of yep. bed on the property feel comfortable. For sure. Yep. So, so hopefully, like next year, I'll have three different food sources. You know, three of them kind of near my house. And then I'm going to have them all screened off. Because this year I didn't do anything. I just planted the food plots because I didn't really know how I wanted to set it up for sure. So I didn't want to, like, invest in um, permanent screening just to have it move. So yep. this year I kind of I figured out how I, how I want to have it done. So I'm going to have three larger food plots near large, by meaning like a half acre. <laughs> so not large, but, like, large for me. Yeah, and, oh, for sure. You know, I, so I'm going to probably split each one of those in ha at least in half. So I'll have maybe two quarter-acre plots divided by, like, a screening of uh, of some sort. And then I'm going to have to screen off uh, our our house and work, like our family area and then draw the deer to these locations. And then I'll have another one kind of north of the the central bedding areas where I'm, I'm thinking these deer are going to hang out. I, I do have, like, a, a natural swamp system that runs north to south of my property. I got into there for the first time. And it is pretty sweet in there. Like, I did find a couple islands where it looks like these would be really good places for, like, an isolated deer bed. So yeah. Like, hopefully, like, I can get these does to bed in the timber cutting that I'm doing where I'm just going to make a lot of open pockets, a lot of uh, a lot of thick cover, but, like, a lot of areas where doe families can hang out. And, and the, the bucks might be in there every once in a while, depending on how I have it laid out. But, really, that might be too much stress for them. And so they're probably going to try to find these individual you know, solitary locations away from all that stress. And I think that the, it's going to be in this swamp system. So I can go out there and kind of make trails to and from these individual beds, maybe prop them up a little bit like mulch or something, just get, make them more comfortable, a little bigger, really make them more attractive for like for bucks. So I'm going to try to do that as many times as I can throughout that swamp system. So depending on the deer and what wind direction it is, he has multiple options to, to bed down. Yeah, no, for sure. I just want to try to like hold as many deer as I can on this place. Yeah, and how many acres is that again? So it's it's fifty seven acres. It's uh it's, it's laid out really funny. Like I have a, a river on one side which I like. Um, I got a road access on the other side which I like. But what what's tough about this property is my house is in the dead center. So really, I my my driveway goes back about five hundred yards. My house is in to the middle of the property probably about at least 100 yards and then i have a two acre pond right off the right off my house that really like cuts off a lot of deer movement okay. so like deer movement has to go on the opposite side of the pond because they don't want to get too close to my house they, they they'll do it at night but i can never rely <laughs> it's never be reliable movement during the day during the hunting season so yeah. i have to build my property to, to push the deer movement on the opposite side of the pond because that's that's what they will want to do. I don't want to put too much time and effort into trying to get them to quote come close to my house when there's there's a low probability that an old buck is going to walk by my house and my dog is out there. Right, so. right, exactly. You know for sure. So now, did you uh, 
obviously I know you you um you also killed a, a really nice deer in your property this year, so congratulations on that. Oh, um, thanks. That that was I want to say that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> that one, that one, I can't like really take any credit for that, mainly because we just bought the property and it was I wasn't even planning on going hunting that night. Um, my son, he, he's five years old. He he just randomly asked me, "Hey, Dad, we're at a park. Can we go hunting today, and can we go shoot a buck?" I was like, <laughs> "Oh man!" <laughs> like one, like we can go hunting if you want, buddy. But you know, at, up, up until this point, I've seen two does and like three fawns and a spike. And no joke, that's what I've been seeing on my my cameras, and I run a lot of cameras. Yeah, and so. I, told him like you know what we'll go out there and we'll go hunting and if we see a nice buck you know not not the spike if we see a nice buck i I'll promise we'll take a shot at it yeah yeah but like i'm just letting you know like we're probably not going to see a buck but we'll we'll try to go see a deer so we sat in a spot like on the opposite side of our pond because i think it, it was the that same weekend that you shot your deer we shot ours on the 8th okay so yep the day after and we were sitting in a stand that was right in between two food sources and we have some apple trees on our property near some apple trees and we do we can see the deer come out to the apple trees so i'm like okay this is a good spot just so maybe my son can see a deer but it was also a pretty good spot that i, I was i had kind of high hopes for early in the season like when we first bought the place because it runs there's a trail that we made that runs right on the edge of that thick swamp system and we connected it to one of our food plots so i'm like you know what this is a really cool spot because these deer these bucks are going to run the edge of the swamp and they can stand cover and check this scrape that I made and also kind of stage in this thick stuff before they come out to the food plot. So yeah. like, this is a cool spot, but I put a camera there and I really got nothing on that camera all year, just those does and that spike. So I was really kind of a little defeated with that. Like, man, like you get this new property and there's not even a single nice buck on it. Right. But then that night, like we were, we were sitting there, we haven't seen the deer. My son's asking to get down. And I'm like, I'm like, buddy, it's, it's, we have 30 minutes. Like let's just sit, sit out for 30 more minutes. And then my wife texts me and she's like, hey, go look, like, look by the apple trees, there's a deer. So we turn around, like, oh, yeah, there is a little fawn back there. And it's probably like 150 yards away. And my, my son's like, can we shoot it? I'm like, no, man, it's a little far away to shoot. So we have to wait for something to be a little closer. And as soon as we were watching that deer, I heard something to my left. And I was like, I heard like some crunching. I go, that's not a squirrel and that's not a bird, that's a deer. Yeah. And I kind of like looked to my left. And I don't see anything, but it's like it's at the scrape. Whatever's making that noise is at the scrape to my left. And I'm like, hey, hey, Blake, don't move. I, I think I hear a deer. And then I, as soon as I said that, I saw an antler come out from underneath this autumn olive that the scrape is hanging from. And I'm like, okay, but like it's a buck, don't move. And then I, I think it's probably the spike, only because that's what I'm seeing on this camera. I think I'm seeing one time from one side of that spike. But then it steps out all the way, and it's a, a pretty wide eight point. It, now he's not like a giant deer, but he, it's like a pretty nice eight point. And then my son sees it, and he's like, "Oh my gosh!" And I'm like, hey, "Like, let's be really quiet. We're gonna shoot this one." <laughs> so, like, he, he steps out, and we just—it it was probably I don't know seven seconds from by the time it stepped out to where we actually took the shot. And then we hit it, and it ran into that swamp. And then we didn't hear it or see it and hear it anymore. And we heard it for probably 35 yards and then nothing. I was like, man, I, I feel like I should have heard it for longer than that. I yeah. didn't hear it, but I should have heard it for longer than that. Like maybe it just fell over, but I'm like, nah, that doesn't normally happen to me. Normally they run for at least 70, 80 yards before they drop. <laughs> and then 
my son's like, let's get down and look at the arrow. Go, let's give it 10 minutes and then we'll get down. So it was already kind of getting dark and he can't, he wasn't, he was starting to get noisy. So I'm like, all right, we'll get down. So we waited 10 minutes, got down, checked the arrow and it looked like it was brown, like brown slime, uh, looked like a gut shot. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I gut shot this deer from 20 yards. I can't, I can't believe it. I thought I saw the arrow hit and it, like I thought I saw it hit right where it was supposed to, but uh, the arrows, like the fletchings are telling me a different story here. I'm like, you got, I'm just, now I'm like, we can't go look for this deer. We got to go in and let it sit. Hmm. So I had a camera sitting there with uh, over the scrape. I'm like, I wonder if that camera picked it up. And I'll, I run all my stuff in video mode. Okay, just so yeah, I can, yeah. Like the, just so I can put that stuff on the YouTube channel. Yeah. And uh, I picked, I pulled the card, went back in, put my son to sleep. I was kind of, disappointed excited that we saw a deer got a shot and pretty cool for that was our first sit on the new property the first time my son's ever been in a tree it was a pretty cool story but then like to see that arrow i was pretty disappointed so sure, i put my son yeah. to sleep and i looked at the computer or went to the computer to watch the video it hit right where i wanted it to like right behind the shoulder I'm like and but then what happened is it, somehow it kicked back and exited the back of the deer and so that's why the arrow was brown like that it must have cleaned off the red blood red heart lung blood and then put that brown slimy intestine blood or, or gunk all over the arrow and wow. that's why i saw it that way but then i watched that video i go oh that deer's dead so, oh, but if yeah. my son had already been to sleep so i'm like well i want him to find it with me so we, then we went out the next day and found it it, it only it really only went 35 yards so when, wow. I, when we heard it that, that's where it, it dropped but that's that was a pretty cool. fun a pretty fun deer for uh at the first sit on the new property oh yeah for sure yeah, that's yep. really cool. What helps, I think, is like this area had APRs for three years, and so the like the uh, neighbors could not shoot. You know, I, I don't know if it was four on a side or there was at least three on a side, but they, this area was in, in Montcalm County, so they had APRs for three years. Yep, yep, that I really get, helped. It. Yeah, I had a buddy that's uh, that's got some property in Montcalm, and he said he said definitely has made a difference. You know, like it has in many parts of the state where it's implemented. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's, that's cool for sure that you, uh, that whole thing came together. You had your son with you and yeah, you can't beat that. That was an awesome buck. I appreciate it. It was definitely fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So other than that, did you get out a whole, did you spend a whole lot more time hunting on your property or? So I, I did not, uh, I hunted a couple more times there, uh, but the, this, well, I won't get too far into it, but we just, we had a, a baby actually two days before I shot that deer, like, uh, on the sixth, And then about, a, I think it was like Halloween ish. He got sick, but he got pretty sick for three weeks. So I was like, my wife was, um, actually in the hospital with him. And so then I was kind of just doing dad. I was, and then, uh, taking my son to school and all that. So I was lucky I had the time off anyways, because normally that's when I do a lot of my hunting. Yeah. But sure. uh, so basically I, I just, you know, what I didn't do a whole lot of hunting this year after Halloween. So yeah. I, I, I hunt a lot up until Halloween or like from probably like the 20th of October to Halloween. But after that, I didn't hunt until uh, the firearm opener. But okay. I, my dad back there a couple of times and he, he saw uh, actually quite a few bucks. So there was one day he went back there and he saw six different bucks. They were all chasing, but they, uh, it dried up fairly quickly after, um, after there was like a little flurry of rut activity and then it kind of dried up. But, it's because I ran into this at my previous property. We do not have a lot of does. Like I said, I only was marking about, you know, two does that were consistently using the property. 
And so I think what happens a lot is if you don't have, you don't want to have too many does, but if you don't have enough does, those bucks are going to come in when those does come into heat. Yep. As soon as those does are bred, those bucks know it and they're out. They're going to yeah. go. They're not wasting any time. They're going to go try to find a property that has does. Yeah. And so no, for sure. That's what I need to do is I need to make sure that I'm. I don't want to hold too many does, but I want to make sure that I'm holding more does than I was this year because I want to hold those bucks on my property a little longer. I yep. want to keep their attention. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely a balance, and I've uh, I've noticed that with our farm up north, we've we've uh, been fortunate to have several neighbors around us that have harvested quite a few does and um, especially with the APRs I think that helps because you got more guys who will pass a smaller you know spike or three point or something like that right and uh, they'll shoot a doe instead and um, so that's really helped with not only our buck to doe ratio but our overall age structure too and um, I've noticed that our pre-rut has definitely been a lot more intense um, it is it's crazy. Yeah. Those, those bucks get really uh, territorial, and they, they yeah, there's more sparring. They're a lot more active, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I had multiple different bucks, uh, you know, fighting either on camera or uh, my dad had two, uh, and I, I believe they're two-and-a-half-year-old, eight points. They were going crazy fighting, and um, a couple bucks with, you know, broken, you know, main beams and all that stuff. And then uh, a couple days before I ended up killing my uh, – that that big eight on November 8th. Um, I think it was November 5th. I want to say it was almost in like a, a rain windstorm. It was crazy. I was back in the same stand that I ended up killing them in. And, um, it, we had, I think 30 or 40 mile an hour winds that night. And, uh, it was crazy. You know, I was like, it's that first week of November. I'm like, you know, I, I know I got to get out there cause I know they're going to be moving, but it was kind of one of those situations where you're sitting there like, man, am I really going to see any deer <laughs> flowing around here? But, right. uh, but yeah, anyway, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I, I'm hunting kind of right on the edge of a, a big, uh, hay field. And all of a sudden I had this doe come flying around this swamp edge and, uh, she had five bucks chasing after her. And, uh, one of them was that, that big white eight that I ended up killing. And, That's um, yeah, they all came flying, you know, seemed like they were going 100 miles an hour at me across the field and um they all came into the bedding area right in front of me and they were all pushing the doe all around and that that uh that big eight point he was kicking little bucks out of the bedding area and so that was that was fun to watch i never got a, a shot at him right there because he was just running around like a like a wild man but um that was that was super cool um i don't think i've ever seen five bucks chasing a doe that hard it was that was pretty crazy so, yeah that, that shows that you guys have been doing a good job like you said, harvesting those those to get that that age that, that ratio kind of more in line. Yeah. Yep. No, for sure. Yeah. Help from from neighbors and you know trying to basically be observant on what we're seeing and and kind of how many doe families we're roughly seeing stuff like that and gives us a really good uh, really good gauge on how many we need to take out each year. So yeah, that's kind yep. of been something that I've I've definitely uh, observed and uh, it's it's definitely improved our pre rut tremendously. So, and it hel- it always helps with your habitat too. I mean, that's another huge component of not having too many does and stuff like that. Because you just, you know, when you're trying to actually grow bigger deer, you know, yeah, they don't, wipe out. Yeah, I mean, your your does are going to get be the first ones to have have the the good quality nutrition. So, if you leave enough for your bucks, that definitely uh, definitely helps, especially when they're coming out of the out of the rut. Yeah, so, and then yeah, they put that put that feed bag back on. And yep. They, yeah, because those does, yeah, they'll 
decimate your habitat like, to where like you're not going to have you're not going to have any browse left over and these are the areas where you have too many or like in your food plots will be wiped out so yeah and then that's gonna put a lot more stress not only on those does but the bucks too so your entire herd is going to be more stressed out if you have too many deer for your property you know if your property can't handle it yeah oh absolutely for sure yeah so the reason why i asked um how much more hunting you did in your property because i'm interested have you have you kind of gone out and done some scouting yet on your property kind of since you've hunted it and uh this year and kind of observed um you know i love to go out to our property and either it's after a snowstorm or something like that and that's when i learn you know a lot obviously you know i'm consulting on properties i, I love going out after a snowstorm um and be able to see all the beds and how big they are what the position of them is you know all those different things right and um i've always so one of the things that i've kind of picked up lately on a couple properties i've been on is some guys, it seems like in really high hunting pressure, small properties, I've noticed that a lot of these bucks, you know, typically most of the properties that I, I see, you know, they're like, well, where, you know, where do you want to start first? I said, well, I said, let's go to the highest point in your property. Cause I I know typically depending on the habitat and stuff like that, a lot of those bucks want to bet on high ground. And, um, so I'll start there. And, um, but what I've noticed is it seems like I'll find quite a few beds very consistently on high ground on different properties, just a little bit higher elevation on a hillside or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And but I'll also find that there's there's beds, you know, maybe they're they're freshly used beds or I can see they have been used throughout the season, and uh, they're down in kind of those swamps or wetland areas and stuff like that on just those little high mounds. Yeah. And um, so that's something that I've kind of observed, and you know, I think. I think bucks want to bet on the high ground if they've if the habitat's right and the hunting pressure is is not uh you know there's a lot of hunting pressure on the you know the, the tops of hills and ridges and stuff like that i think they almost get pushed down into these swamps and um i think it makes it more make it make it makes it harder to actually hunt them when they get pushed down into these swamps because they're i think they're just less predictable on where they're going to come out of the swamp and uh, yeah, at yeah. what time and anywhere along that swamp right right and it's hard to get in there and actually create those trails and that predictability um it's kind of what i've found so I, I was just curious you know if, if you've since you've got some of that kind of low ground swamp on your property if you notice anything like that kind of because i know you've got quite a bit of hunting pressure around you yep yeah so i've noticed yeah three for buck bed or, or guess a lot of times deer bedding in general yep the three scenarios like I mean, there's the the very common scenario where you got the deer bedded in thick cover right next to food. I think a lot of people understand that. But like what you touched on, two of them is they they like those hillsides. So if you can get, especially if it's a south facing slope and kind or like a southeastern slope where you can kind of get away from that northwest wind or you have that northwest wind kind of blowing over your back and they kind of have a little bit of a view yep. to the southeast. I noticed that a lot. You can kind of identify these buck beds. So you said it's a single bed, a lot of times a little bit bigger, and you'll have a couple rubs nearby. Oh, yeah, and for sure. With, with those doe beds, you're not always going to – not that, that bucks don't go into a doe bedding area and rub rub it up a little while, a little bit, but right. a lot of times it's a single bed, and you're going to have several rubs around it. Yep. I noticed that, that they're going to be on the hillsides. I noticed exactly what you just said, and I, I found this on my property this year. We, we, we went into that swamp system. We walked around. We try to find these little islands. These, and it's, when I say island, I'm just talking six inches above the, the rest of it. So oh, it's yeah. not 
Yep. Not that much higher. Yep, exactly. Yeah, no, I've, I've noticed that. It's like, you know, I say high ground, and I think a lot of people think, like, super high ground. But it can be up on a mountain. You know, I've been out in, in, uh, in New York yep. and Pennsylvania all the way up on, you know, on a mountain, and you'll find it. Or you'll find it all the way in, you know, some Michigan swamp on a, on a six-inch little mound, like what you're talking about, as long as it's big enough where they can lay down on it. So, yeah, because yeah. the option is between, like, the swamp is thick. It's a bunch of cattails, red dogwood. Yep. There's some... Uh, there's tag alder in there. You know, it's just a, it's a thick area. Yep. And so it's, it's low, and it's you walk around in there, and most of it is wet. And they don't want to lay down in that wetness. They would much rather find a little bit of a high high spot and lay down, as long as it kind of makes sense to get that cover, like there's enough room for them to lay down. But every single spot that was like that, that fit the bill there, as long as there wasn't like a big log over the high spot, there was a not always hair or not always poop, but there was always like a, you could tell there was a compression there. Yep. So at yep. some point in the last two weeks, you could tell that a deer had laid down right there. And it was a single deer. So that doesn't always mean that it's a buck. It could be a single doe that's by herself. Yep. But and it doesn't always mean that it's a, a big buck. Like just because you find a big bed, it always, doesn't always mean it's a big buck. But there's a higher chance that those beds were buck beds. Yep, and for sure. that's what you, you want to try to identify those because now – one of the projects that I'm going to be working on in the off season is I'm going to try to replicate that. Yep. So if there's ever a spot where there's a bunch of cover within this swamp, I can go in there and try to build my own little island. Oh you know, yeah, for sure. Just put it, put it right there to where the cover is on the, the Northwest side of the, of the little mound I'm going to build. The mound will be in the Southeast side. So when I'm hunting a Northwest wind, I can, I have a, not a guarantee, but there's a chance that that buck that I want to hunt, it might be sitting on one of my islands that I made. Right. Oh, for sure. Especially you know, if you can. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say because like that's how you built the bed. You, you built it so he could have the cover at his back and then have a little bit of a view to the southeast. And if you're hunting a northwest wind, then you kind of have you just have a. It's, it's not guaranteed. You're just increasing your chance that he might be there. Right. Well, nothing in deer hunting is guaranteed. So. <laughs> yeah. Never. Never. I think so hear about this stuff and they think like when we say hey i'm gonna get the deer to do this i'm gonna have a bed here and eat here like that's that's kind of how we talk right but none of it's guaranteed it's just you're we're, i'm trying to increase the chance that the deer is going to feed here and increase the chance that the deer is going to bed here and come through this pinch point here yeah like yep. so it, it might be like a three percent chance before i did it but now it's up to like a 60 to 70% chance that the deer is going to do that. Oh, yeah, for sure, also, especially if there's no human pressure there. You know, right, yeah. And, and your neighbor's got human hunting pressure, uh, yeah, hunting pressure, and and they don't have that, you know, those nice of bedding situations, 100%, yep. for sure. Yeah, so. and the uh, the third scenario that I see, and when I go in, so I, I you kind of identify these areas on a map first. Like I'll go to like a, a satellite image of my property and I'll go to a, a one that's maybe taken in uh, March where the snow has been melted, but the le leaves haven't leafed out yet. And I can kind of see the, the habitat with maybe some water, but there's no leaves in the trees. Yep. The, the thing about that is I can kind of see a lot of these peninsulas that shoot out into water. And I, that's another spot that I really see that deer love to bet on in, in kind of like that low ground where uh, you have something dry that shoots out into the uh the swamp yeah just like those peninsulas and so like the other day like when we had a lot of snow before before we had this melt 
I went out there to one of those on our property. And I just I went out there like, yep, sure enough, there's like six different beds on this one peninsula right there. Like, I, okay, well, I, now I know that this is for sure. Uh, I, I don't have to do anything with it. Like, it's already a bedding area. I can maybe make it a little better, add some diversity in there. Yep. But there are as long as I don't destroy this peninsula and drop a bunch of trees into it, they're going to continue to use it. Yeah, so. yeah, just keep up with the maintenance of it. I think that's huge. Right. I mean, if you find buck beds, it, it might be awesome. Uh, sure, there might be a couple little things you can do to improve it. Maybe add more screening around it if you're going to want to try to hunt closer to it. I think that's, you know, especially when you're dealing with small properties. Screening, I, I think that's probably one of the most beneficial things and, and probably not the most overlooked thing, but um, I think screening and, and almost like, Every aspect of a property is like super important that I've noticed because it, it makes the property not only hunt way bigger, but you can actually get in and hunt it way easier without without bumping deer, and you can get in and hunt closer too. So it's just something that I've kind of observed observed, and uh, I've definitely uh, kind of seen the success of it. Absolutely, so. and that's that most properties need. Like when you go to a property, most most properties are not thick. Most properties have, haven't been logged in a long time. Yep. And, and so when you're walking the perimeter of the property, just to kind of get a, a gauge, like, you know, how is this guy going to get to a stand? And you're looking towards the interior, and you can see, you know, 300 yards. Like, okay, well, we need to take some trees down here because we got to either – we, we got to create some sort of a screen here because you there's no way that you're going to be able to put a food plot on the interior of your property or a bedding area without bumping these deer out. Yeah, so you're yep. gonna have some sort of a screen here. So you're you're right. That's that's very important. That's almost like the first step is you got to figure out how are you gonna get around this property without being seen. No, for and so sure. Screening is a huge part of that. Yeah, yep, no, for sure. Yeah. So um, as far as uh, the next thing I kind of wanted to dive into is uh, kind of applying, which we kind of we kind of uh, just kind of hit on, but kind of applying the hunting observations from this past season to our overall habitat plan and habitat work for this kind of 2023 uh, habitat season. I think that's something that's we kind of hit on um, in, with your property and stuff, but just kind of getting into more of the details of, of not only, you know, applying them, but, you know, looking at basically your hunting observations of what you've learned, you know, yeah. through the season and then kind of, you know, how you're going to apply those things. And maybe, you know, there's guys who are, at the beginning stage of their property and you know, they're starting to either think about putting together a plan or maybe they've got a plan they're just working on fine-tuning it and doing the implementation work everybody's at obviously different stages so yeah um just kind of i thought we figured we'd kind of dive into that i think that's important sure. for guys to set goals and stuff for this year so i, I guess i'll talk about this new property that i have and so that I, ha I haven't really done a whole lot of work so on, on this property there are areas that i've identified as good area not necessarily like a great tree to be in yep. but, you know this area this general area is going to be dynamite but you know my stand location may or may not be in the right spot and so what you need you just got to hunt that you just got to hunt it and you have to see okay well i know the deer are going to go by me from this way to this way but i don't know for sure like there's a couple trails here which one are they going to take more often than not and then you can kind of see like okay now that I've hunted the stand, they always took, you know, trail B and they took this one almost every time. Now, does that work for my plan? And if right. it does, if it does, then work around it. Cause I, I always try to like, if I can let the deer do what they want to do 
is and if you're able to again get into that stand location without being seen or as long as you're not you know being heard or smelled from adjusting your stand location then you can maybe even move it closer or wherever it needs to be to get to that trail b but let's or like maybe there's a uh, a scenario where they're taking a trail that's not going to work and you're like okay well now i need to try to like where my where my stand is that's the only place i can put my stand without being seen or heard or smelled like maybe you're on the top of a hill and if you go too far to the bottom now you're gonna start seeing all some swirling winds yeah so like you, you gotta start you gotta keep your stand where it is so what you might need to do is you might need to block that trail and you might need to you know put a bunch of trees on the ground and force those deer closer to your tree stand yeah because right now they're, they're moving just too far out of range and so that, that's kind of an, something that you want to do probably like on a new property is identify like a good area. Now, this is a pinch point, you know, this, whatever it is, this is a pinch point. I can see it. It's, it's going to consolidate deer movement, but we don't know exactly how they're going to move through this area because they could be moving through anywhere from like 10 yards to 60 yards away. And if, if they're moving 60 yards away, then we got to either change our stand or we got to make the deer come a little closer by dropping trees and pushing them closer. Yep. Yep. Exactly. For sure. And no, that's, that's, <clears throat> Excuse me, that's a, a perfect topic because it's funny you say that. I was out on a property today uh, consulting, and uh, we were, we were kind of setting up these these bunch of different kind of ridge tops and uh, for bedding, you know, situation, locations. And uh, we were coming up with a stand location that would be really good. And uh, one of the things that I, I was, you know, just it, we were talking about how he hunts it and stuff like that, and I think it was almost exactly what you were saying. You know, we, we didn't have the trees – that that was a good enough tree for a tree stand and um you know it's too far back off the hill and um so i said well let's you know i'd say just put a whole wall of trees down and you know let's just pinch these deer right down through here and we're gonna make a hub and we're you know we're gonna basically bring all our does through here and uh, i think that's you know something that i've learned uh you know just through working with jim ward and stuff is kind of creating those hubs around your stand locations and if you can kind of mm-hmm force those does kind of all come together around those hubs then the more does you can get to come through there then there's a high probability a chance that you're going to have one that you know is an estrus you know during that pre-rut time yeah. and those bucks and are going to know gonna that yeah yeah those bucks are going to know that you know because those typically what i found in you know, all those dope family groups they typically don't want to be kind of condensed together so if you can if you can kind of almost <laughs> force them to you know come together at a certain point um, you know, more of them to kind of, you know, um, condense down to that point, then I think it can be, you know, just another really good, not only right. stand location, but, uh, you know, spot to, to see mature bucks. Yeah, just a massive intersection. You can't go wrong with that. That's yeah. what you're looking for. Just yep. force all the deer into this one little spot from, from different areas, different sections of your property, and they're going to converge on that one spot, put a scrape there. Like, yeah, they're going to, that's just a dynamite spot. Yep. And like you said, eventually one of those does that walks by is going to be an estrus, and those bucks are going to know. Yep. So as soon as she walks by, that's when you're going to have your train of bucks go by. You go, maybe those five bucks are going to run by. Yep, and, exactly. You know, may hopefully get a crack at them. Yeah, and I think it. Uh, another thing that is, if you can do it and it lays out right in your property, is take advantage of your terrain features. I think that's huge. If you've got just natural terrain features and you can cut them right and, and you know, really get that predictability – 
um, just basically what you were saying is, is using that natural, you know, flow of deer and where those mature bucks want to naturally yep. be and enhance that. I mean, those, those can just be awesome spots. Yep. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like if you know that the, if you, let's say you have a swamp edge that there's a clear, de- clear difference between the type of habitat, you know, you got, you got that low swamp type of habitat and you have like an upland habitat right on the other side. Those deer are going to walk that edge. They want to walk that edge. So yep. if you can, let them walk that edge as long as it works with your plan like let them walk it but then there's also going to be trails that are going to be you know either in the swamp a little bit or maybe you know in the timber a little bit so what you can do is just drop a lot of trees not a you know, a ton of them but you know some trees in that area both in the woods and in the swamp and then you can actually force more deer down the swamp bed yeah so if you, you know they yep. want to do that but there's going to be some trails that are going to be going off in every direction but block those other trails off and send them down where they already want to go as, as long as it works within your plan but a lot, a lot of times it, there's going to be trails that are going to there's so many trails in the woods that you can make a lot of these natural ones work oh like yeah for sure plan. yeah i mean it, it, normally the problem seems to be is there's so many deer trails going every which direction you know it's a client i was on today he's like it's like a spider web he's like i got deer coming from almost every direction you know and i said yeah. well that's that's good but in this situation you know with this client and the way the property laid out it was it was just the predictability wasn't there because he had deer coming from so many different directions he couldn't get and actually hunt it and um so that's kind of that's a lot of what we worked worked on it's kind of getting that predictability and and not pushing basically pushing as far into that property as he needs to in order to kill his target buck and i think that's another thing too when you can build that depth of cover on a property and you, if you set it up right, you don't really need to push that far into a property, you know, no. to, be able to kill that target buck. If you got enough screening and, and it's and it's set up right, I mean, it's, you know, I think a lot of guys are, they have these like you know, sanctuary stands, which can be awesome for sure, um, you know, for all day sits and stuff like that where you can get in there. But um, I think if you're in those high, heavily, you know, uh, hunting pressured properties, a small property. And you can really build that depth of cover um, and just take advantage of those bucks wanting to come downwind of, you know, all those different you know, habitat features and doe bedding and food plots. Then, uh, you know, let let him come to you, you know, type of thing. Just kind yeah. of, it's a different approach. You know, there, there's two different sides of it, depending on how the property lays out. It's either you go in and you get aggressive, you know, if you've got the screening cover and you know where he's bedding at, or you kind of set the property up as, you know, you're going to wait till that buck kind of comes by you and, and hunt the outside edges you know yeah there's you got to try to find a hunting philosophy that works for your personality yeah like i'm not aggressive hunter at all like i i I am very similar to what you what you were describing with like hunting the edges the the conservative hunter so i i do try to set up properties the same way that like that makes sense to me and so like yeah when you're working with someone you, you, you hopefully that they are buying into what you're about before they hire you because that's what they're going to get they're going to get kind of they're going to get a a good plan but they're going to get more of a conservative plan and they're not going to like i don't normally set one up where i'm going to put a stand right in the dead center of the property because there's not a a great way to get into those stands a lot of times and once you're there unless you're in like a redneck or something your scent's blowing all over the place and you you still got you know yep yep for sure and i mean that's you know every client's got different goals and that's why it's like i try to always you know that's that's the first priority you know of course there's different ways that that i would hunt the property maybe but it all depends on you know what their goals are and then 
basically yeah. take the information they gave me and or give me and uh you know kind of go from there so yeah yeah for sure yeah. one time of hunting that the center of the property that aggressive stand if you don't get him he like there's a higher chance that he's gonna know that you're in there or just something's different and that's gonna that could potentially change his pattern oh yeah you know, he, yep, for instead sure. of being up and walking around he might sit down for an extra 20 minutes and say i didn't i didn't like the way that that property smelled over there like that I, that didn't smell like that since last year at this time and i got shot at last year so oh I, yeah I down yeah i mean uh, with a lot of these mature bucks in michigan you typically only get one chance you know maybe maybe twice but it, like i've heard a lot of guys say your first hunt in is typically going to be your most productive after that your your i think your odds are going to be going down depending on the type of you know depending on the time of year obviously you know <laughs> first part of you know last part of uh, october first part of november all bets are kind of off but yeah um, it's just it just depends on the type of year but yeah, yeah no. because like a lot of times if you can set, set it up to where you're having a lot of these outside stands like you just set up these pinch points near these the outer parts of your property these bucks do loops I was sitting a, a stand that was 15 yards off the property line, and I had two different bucks walk by me. Uh, these are these are nice three-year-old bucks. They walked by me uh, two different times. One of them was three different times on the same day. They were just doing loops around the property. Wow! It, just because they're looking for that doe. Yep. This was Halloween, so like it was kind of like the, the kickoff of the rut, and so like there probably weren't that many does in heat yet, and so these bucks are just kind of doing loops around the property. And, and it's like, okay, well, there, here comes one. Oh, it's that deer again. Yep. Like, just get the camera out. But it's just like, it's pretty fun to watch it when it, when it works the way it's supposed to. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Uh, you're 15 yards off the property line. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's awesome because you can, you're, you're taking advantage of, like, a lot of your property. You know, when you can kind of be away from, you know, you're close to your property line, but you don't have to hunt in that deep and you're already seeing that action. You know, right. so it kind of makes your property feel a lot bigger. And I think that's that's another thing, too, is depending on what the how the property kind of is laid out, you know, and the way the property runs, uh, some, you know, run east to west, north to south. Some are longer, more of a rectangle, square, you know, stuff like that. Depending on how they how they are kind of set up, you can kind of build that depth of cover and you can build that um, kind of that parallel travel, uh, travel flow. Um, right. Kind of working with the property length. You know, then, yeah, that's that's huge. That's yeah. huge. Build the build the deer travel with your access, like yeah, your access around the property if possible. But again, like you said, it depends on how it's set up. Like my like mine, my house is in the dead center. So yeah, that kind of really it really throws a, a wrench into that whole whole uh, theme that you're trying to follow. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many situations where you just don't have that perfect scenario, and and things yeah. are, it's it's tough. You know, sometimes just trying to trying to figure out all these different situations with outside influences and hunting pressure and the way the property is laid out and you know yeah. it, there's just a lot of different factors that that play into uh you know kind of a design and then not only that but you know once you get a design you're always gonna have to make tweaks and changes to it you know there's things that are constantly yeah. changing whether it be your habitat or you know outside outside other, other influences you can't control so, yeah that's very true <laughs> Um, yeah, so another thing I figured we would we would hit on is kind of uh, getting managing kind of like realistic habitat goals, you know, kind of for this year. You know, we always kind of, at least I know I I do is like you know I get excited and like oh yeah you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get all this done this year and you know, um, 
and you know maybe get half of it done or something like that <laughs> so right i think it's good to kind of uh you know not only have good hunting goals you know depending on where you're at um which is something that we'll probably uh, dive into more once we get closer to hunting season um but i think right now managing just your habitat goals i think is really important um you know kind of for your schedule what your budget is you know all these different things if you can kind of say okay let's depending on the the size of your property you say okay i'm going to work on this two acre bedding area i'm going to get this completely done you know this year we get all the detail work done you know and then i'm going to kind of move on to another section you know, i i've constantly found myself you know i start working on something and then get distracted and you start working on something else and you never get it 100 percent done you know and mm-hmm. i think it's always nice to go in somewhere and you know i do that a lot on my own property but it's like it's nice to go in you know somewhere and just get the get the thing completely done and you, you know you feel good about it and you're ready to go um so yeah i mean it's just managing those realistic goals i think it's it's super important for me um i know probably a lot of guys can relate to that yeah like my biggest thing is you got to like write it down and that's where having like the, the plan like if, if you do if you did hire somebody and they give you like the habitat plan they're going to have like the set objectives that you need to be accomplishing to have success yeah so let's say there's someone that wants to go do it on your own you make a list that's yep. the big thing that's going to that's going to help you accomplish what you want to accomplish this off season is, is make that list just so you can stay organized and then like you said, if, if you want to cut something, if you want to cut a bedding area, you want to do a food plot, you want to cut this travel corridor, you want to dig these water holes, like wh- whatever it is, you, you can do multiple projects at the same time, kind of, but try your, I guess I would say, try not to start a different project until the previous one is done. Because yeah, like, yeah. like you said, okay, if, let's say you've got 10 different things you want to do and a lot of it's cutting work. And you would do like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of cutting here, do a little bit of cutting here. And then you end up not accomplishing any of it to the end. Well, are, are those habitat features really working for you if, if you didn't finish them? Like right. if, if you cut down, let's say you cut down a bunch of half acre bedding areas across your property and they're in good spots, they're in the right spots, but all you did was drop the trees, you get sunlight in there, so you're getting new growth, but there's a bunch of dead ends. And yep. then there's there's, there's no openings the deer can't get through there very well like what what you're going to find is like i guess in that scenario the deer might bed around the outside of it which you know they, they still might work for you i guess but it would it can be much better if you just actually finished the first one before you moved on to the next one yeah for and, sure i've noticed yeah, that yeah. oh go ahead i was just saying like, even with food plots like if you, you cut the food plot but you i don't know you, you're trying to do a, a bunch of different stuff at the same time like it's better just to get the one get the one food plot done as opposed to you know only cutting half the trees in one and going to the next one and now you don't have enough sunlight or maybe you you only have so much of a budget for lime and for seed and so like you you basically you have like maybe four you know food plots that are operating at like 30 to 40 percent when you can have maybe two food plots that are operating at 80 percent or you know one that's at a hundred. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. There is only so much time, and you only have so much money to put to this stuff uh, each year. So you, you kind of got to, I would say, make a list, and then once you figure out what you want to do, try not to move on to the next thing on the list until you have the previous, I guess, objective completed. Yeah, no, and I, I 100% can relate to that because I have to make a list for myself because 
if I don't, then I just, I get distracted and stuff like that. So a lot of times I'll have, you know, kind of like my, I've obviously got a habitat plan for our property and I'll refer back to that. <clears throat> and then at the same time, I've also got basically a habitat to-do list, you know, on our farm. And I'll try to hit as much as I can and, you know, check each one off. And then that keeps me on track. And I think that's, uh, that's critical for just when you have a habitat plan, you know, to kind of have a, a priority list. That's super helpful to, to be able to kind of keep track of where you're at and, and managing, you know, your funds and your time and everything. So, yeah. And, and certain improvements are going to do more for you than others. And it kind of depends on the property, but like a lot of times you can do, you can accomplish 80% of your goal with 20% of your work. So if you, you want to, you want to focus on that 20% because that's going to give you the most return on investment. Yep, and for sure. you, you can be you can be focusing on things that don't matter, and and that's that's the part that's tough sometimes for someone who's doing it by themselves, where they might be, they they might these improvements are not like throwaway improvements; they're good improvements, but they're not going to have a great impact compared to something else. Like they might be, I don't know, maybe they're just going out there and putting in a bunch of mock graves, or they're sinking some water holes here and there. Like, not that those are bad; those do work, and sure. they're they're great; they're great. Yeah. But like, but if you don't like, let's. But they, but they neglect putting in a food source, yep. or they're in an area where they don't have any cover, and they neglected, cu- like, cutting a bedding area on the property or planting a, a bedding area, depending on how it's set up. Like, there are certain things there on your property that are going to have a greater impact depending on your scenario and, and how your property lays out compared to the neighborhood. Oh, for so sure. Just, you just want to make sure that you're focusing on what matters most. Yeah. Yep. No, for sure. That's definitely uh. A lot of truth to that. And then, you know, kind of taking that to the next level too, you know, not only focusing on where you're going to get that biggest, you know, gain is, you know, kind of, you know, look at your property and say, okay, where, where not only is, you know, okay, I can improve these certain things and this is going to, you know, really put me above my neighbor's property or these are just some things that I've observed, you know, kind of over the hunting season. Um, But just ways to add more diversity to the property too. I think that's kind of overlooked. Um, with a lot of oh, guys, right. whether that be maybe you don't have any thermal cover in your property or, you know, you, you need to you just expand on a bedding area or different, you know, pinch points or, you know, there's all these different um, different things that you can add. And I think, you know, the diversity word kind of gets thrown around a lot, you know, especially kind of in the food plot world where, you know, which I think is awesome. I've had some some great results uh, with, you know, diversifying food plot blends. Um, I, you know, I recommend that to basically everyone I talk to and clients is, you know, if you can diversify your food sources, that's awesome because then you can have that, that attraction all the way through the season. And, you know, in some cases, you know, 365 days of the year. Um, And then I think also the other half of the diversity, uh, you know, kind of definition would be taking your property and, and having diversity in different types of not only habitat, but like hunting situations. So you've got, you know, uh, maybe a late season stand, you've got early season stands, you know, kind of marking those out and having that diversity in, in different uh, hunting scenarios and stuff like that, I think is something that I've kind of always picked up on and, and kind of taken the diversity, uh, I guess, term to the next level across almost the entire property, whether it be the habitat yeah. or hunting, you know? Yeah, because it, really everything should have some sort, like you should try to add diversity to everything. Like you said, even like just like maybe diversity is kind of a uh, just different scenarios like you said you want to make sure that you have early season stands 
rut stands, pre-rut stands, and a lot of times those can be similar. But then a late season stand where you're hunting maybe near some thermal cover over a late season food source, or maybe you're, you know, you're hunting near like a, on the opposite side of a south facing slope where you think these deer are going to be and they're going to head to a, uh, a food source. And you want to make sure you have stands for different wind directions. You know, yeah. it's like, like there's that maybe diversity is the wrong word for that, but like, you know, just different stand locations. So you're, you're not just pigeonholed into a northwest wind. Yeah, you know, oh, for sure. There's going to be times where like, okay, we got a southeast or a northeast. Like, okay, that those are good. Those are good days. And you want to make sure you have stand locations for those days. Yeah, and for sure. And like you, you touched on it already, but yeah, diversity within your food plots because one, whitetails crave diversity. They want diversity. They don't want to just have a food plot that's just a monoculture of, of insert, you know, your favorite food plot crop. Yeah. You know, they, if if you like clover, you know, add some chicory, or don't just stick with one type of clover. Add different types of clover, whether it's annual clover, perennial clover, and and different types of annual and perennial clovers, because. Not only are the whitetails going to love the fact that you have diversity in there, but that's going to help your food plot succeed because not every plant thrives the same with the different types of scenarios, either within the soil or with the moisture that, that you got in any given year. Some some plants really do well in dry seasons, with, will do better with dry seasons, and some do better with wet seasons. Yeah. You know, some yep. do better with light soil, some do better with heavy soil. So if you add diversity within your mix, one, the deer are going to like it, and two, you're going to have a better plot because let's say, I'm just thinking about my, my previous property, we had a lot of, uh, we had clover trails, and depending on the part of the property, like some of the areas, areas were wet and some were dry, but sometimes you'd have like ladino clover would take off, and sometimes you'd have the elsite clover take off, and elsite clover is like the wet clover, yep. or like ladinos a lot of times like what you, was in a lot of hay mixes. That's like that bigger clover. And then we had a lot of Dutch clover in there, too. That That's the stuff that gets really it's shorter, but it kind of grows anywhere. So that would kind of fill in the blanks when neither one of those were doing well. So we kind of like, but like we had pretty decent clover trails throughout the property. We And we mixed in chicory as well just for that added diversity. Yep. But then you always have something growing. And, you know, same thing with like those brassicas. Or if you look, if you're wanting to plant cereal grains, you know, don't just focus on one. Try to add a mix of those as well. I don't know. And then two with bedding areas, you touched on it too. Like don't just have the early successional growth from like within the, the timber with what's in the seed bank, add in some conifer with that because you're going to want to have some diversity within your bedding areas as well. And that's going to provide some thermal cover. Yep. And, and also like diversity in the height of the habitat. So you don't just want to have mature trees and then cut everything down to where you only have like the growth at deer level. Now that's very important, but you know, have some mid-story trees and yep. have kind of that, that tapered, that feathered edge going back into the timber. Yep. You want to have like have diversity with everything. Yeah. Like, oh, for sure. You know, it's, so yeah, that's, that's a, a huge, a huge component to having a successful and, and an attractive whitetail property is diversity. Yep. So you want to, Diverse food sources, yeah. Diverse bedding areas, yeah. For wa water sources, I don't know how, how diverse you can get with that. I I, I kind of tend just to sink those those tubs. But like diversity within your mock scrapes, I have a lot of different types of mock scrapes. I I like to use, like obviously the the grapevine is a fan favorite. I love <laughs> I love I love beech trees. Yep. I love beech trees. I love white oaks, and I love I love white pine. Yep, um, I, yep. and, and I, I've had 
this is the first property that I've owned that I've had basswood, and, and that's pretty good too. I, I, I've always heard about basswood, but I've never had the opportunity to like really uh, leverage a basswood tree as a, as a scrape tree, but this property, I finally can do it. So I, I've actually like, I, I found a basswood tree and it was right on a trail that I wanted to promote. I, I, I uh, pulled it down and basically strapped it or tied it lower so it would be about the, the right uh, height for a licking branch. And lo and behold, they love it. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, have sure. to have diversity with, within your licking branches as well. So yeah, basically anywhere you can provide diversity, try to provide diversity. Yeah, and it gives you so many more hunting situations or, or possibilities and opportunities. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, I think it's just an overall win-win, you know, when you can add diversity in every different thing. I know it's kind of a – it became kind of a buzzword almost, but uh, you know, yeah, I think yeah. kind of a, a, a buzzword. You can say diversity, and no one really knows what you are talking about because it, it, you could almost yeah, use it as a crutch. Oh, yeah, add diversity. Well, what do you mean by that? Right, like, right. You could even take it a step further within bedding areas. You want to have beds with the, with back cover to the northwest, to the northeast, to the to the southwest, to the southeast. You want back cover within your bedding area, all these different places. Okay, you've got these high bedding areas. Make some low bedding areas yep. because you don't know what that – Every deer has a different personality. Oh you yeah, hundred percent. But that like, certain deer, like a certain buck, he might be, he might feel safe closer to those does, or, or most bucks, they're gonna feel safer further away from those does. Yeah. And they, they, one buck really might like to be high and to have a view. Where one buck, he might want to just find the thickest, nastiest crap he can find and just sit in that little spot. And so you want to make sure that you're giving your deer on your property, especially your bucks as many options as you can to find a bedding spot that's like i, I th- we made a a video on like making a buck bed on our last property and it was kind of we you know, there was that was one of the videos where most a lot of the comments were like that's such a waste of time it's like you know what it, it, it can be a waste of time i'm not going to say that's that's one of those things where if, if you just if you spent your whole off season making buck beds that's probably a waste of time but like it's one of those things where, like, if you have extra time, go and do it because it's not going to hurt anything. And accomplish your other goals first. But, like, that's one thing. Like, if you can provide a lot of diversity within those beds and you can make individual beds for these deer, like, you're just going to give them options and, and you're just going to increase the chances that they're going to sleep there. Yeah. Like, is it going to happen every time? No. But it, it's going to happen more times than it did before. And that's all I care about fact that they're on my property more and using my stuff now more than they were before right and i think i think one of the things that to consider when you're thinking about that and you know i think the kind of the buck bed term kind of has got thrown out there and i think it's kind of lost some respect because i don't think people fully understand um you know that not every property you're going to be able to actually hold a buck and especially a mature buck you know or get a buck to bed in that in that situation that you have it's just there's not enough room on most of these small properties that, that guys hunt um but I, I think there are possibilities on some I, i've been on some properties where it's like yeah i i think there's you know especially you know if i've worked there before and if we've, i've done a bunch of cutting or something like that and it's it's thick you've got screening it's all set up right you've got depth of cover i mean i think you know for sure i think there's a really high chance um that you know, either if I find them, I think there's a really high chance that their bucks are already bedding there, or that I can get a buck bed there. Um, so, and not only, you know, that you know, kind of while we're on that that buck bed topic, but 
back to that kind of diversity is uh, is uh, kind of going back to when you're you know trying to create these different buck beds. I think in order to get that that higher percentage of chance that he's going to buck or he's going to bed there, um, I think to make those beds several different positions um, in that general vicinity. You know, it might be a, a 25 yard area where you know you're going to make those different you know uh, individual buck beds um, in that habitat feature. And then if you can make those different buck bed you know positions and stuff like that, I think that's critical because those bucks ultimately we want them to stay in there. You know, because they're going to want to stay in there for the majority of the day. And um, especially, you know, in that, that afternoon, you know, typically they're they're going to be the first ones uh, back to the bed in the morning. And then, you know, once all those does bed down, they're going to get up that mid-morning. So, you know, we, we want that buck to stay in those those general vicinities. And, you know, what I've noticed is you got to have enough security cover and enough food in there where they're going to want to, you know, bed down for on average of maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half at most, and they're going to want to get up and kind of feed, and they're going to want to be completely um, secure in that bedding area while they're feeding before they're going to come out, you know, and uh, you know start using the rest of your property. So it's just another kind of thing that I've, I've picked up on and observed, um, you know, that really increase the chances that, you know, if your property allows for the opportunity to build one of these buck beds, you got to take – there's a lot of things you have to consider before you – you know actually start putting time into that yeah that's what that's one of those things that's it's lower way lower down on the priority list yep yep so for sure and that's another thing too like for guys that have that live on their property they're going to be more likely like they're going to be able to do that you know more years than others as opposed to guys that have to drive you know an hour and a half to two hours to their property you know they, that, that's where you really need to be focused and be uh or like list oriented, uh, like figure out what uh, habitat improvement needs to be done, and then just get those done. Like don't do the extra stuff, like like building individual deer beds. Just build the scenario, yep. and the deer will get built, then the deer will use it. Yep, like just make sure. Yep, sit with bedding areas, like the detail work. Like you can get pretty crazy in the detail work, where like it's really detailed and it's really it looks really really good. And, and I'm that way, but like, do you need to do that? No, you don't need to do that. You just you, but you you need to make sure that you have you, you check certain boxes with your bedding area. You need to make sure you have a, escape routes. You got to make sure that you pick up all the trash in the middle, so there's actually comfortable places to lay down. Yep. But do you have to go in and put a backlog in every bed or rake out every bed? You, you don't have to do that. The, the right. deer will find places in that bedding area to lay down. But am I going to do that in my bedding areas? Yes, I'm going to do that because I have the I live here and I have the time to do it. Yep. So that, yep. I mean, that's where like you got to kind of figure out you know what's the most important thing and, and do you have all the all the improvements done that are going to make the greatest impact completed first and then you can start getting down into those more detail like those really detailed improvements and like yeah like those individual deer beds whether that's doe beds within doe bedding areas or those singular beds in those in those swamps or you know maybe away from those doe beds like making those that's that's kind of lower down in the priority list and like you said too like making multiple beds is is huge because like you said it too like the deer don't bed down for for six hours or all day long they they bed down for an hour and they get up walk around and and they they find a different bed to lay down in yeah and then get up and they go and find a different bed to lay down but it's all within a their core area that little that, that daylight core area and that's what you got to make sure is like, like you said, super secure. But 
So that's that's kind of getting down into like the really really detail stuff, like making those individual buck beds. Because if you you can make those individual buck beds first, but are they going to use them? Probably, maybe, but probably not if it doesn't make sense with the overall layout of your property. Like if you don't have food sources, if you don't have does on your property, like you know, why are these bucks going to don't have good access, don't have screening? Why are these bucks going to be there if you don't have the other pieces in place first? Yep, yep, for sure. I think you can you can kind of mismanage your time you know like like you were talking about is you know go in and prioritize okay let's just make a a good size bedding area here and you know not so much focus on these individual details too much depending on the property and focus on just getting enough trees cut i think that's one of the things that that many guys you know they have great intentions you know coming out and doing some hinge cutting and stuff like that but i just find on some on some properties not all and um they just don't either they, it's never been logged before and they come through and you know they're trying to do some hinge cutting um and they just don't have enough canopy uh gone you know so they have enough sunlight down or they just didn't cut enough trees um you know it's like yeah. tell guys when you think you cut enough trees you probably need to cut more <laughs> yeah. that's the but, probably the number one reason hinge cut bedding areas fail is because they guys go in and they they want to do the hinge cutting they may they're not really comfortable cutting down large canopy trees and they, they do the hinge cutting work all the detail work yeah and they might survive for a season but there is a reason that nothing's growing on the ground right now yeah it's shaded out and you created a couple holes in the canopy with those hinge cuts but those large trees are still in those holes within a year or two probably a year and then it's going to be shaded out again and those hinge cuts are not going to be able to get any light just like everything else that's dead down there and they're going to die. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And I've heard that before with guys. Was, yeah. I came in here, you know, and did some hinge cutting and they, you know, they were bedding in there the first year, you know, but you know, now it hasn't, you know, they either, they haven't, you know, seen it. Seen any deer bedding in there. They're just not using it anymore. Or, you know, scenarios like that, that I've heard. And so. Yeah. yeah something I've learned. Yeah. Whenever, like you said it, like when, whenever you think you've cut enough trees, cut a few more just because, you just don't want to cut all the detail work with those, with those hinge cuts and all that and then have to cut that one big red oak down to that big maple and then have it come crashing through all the work that you just did, and it'll just destroy it. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, yep. you know, I, I don't mean by saying that, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of guys that take that too literal and, you know, maybe they don't they don't know managing your forest and stuff like that. But you have to, you have to go off of what your goals are. Your goals might be to – to you know you want future timber so you got to be a lot more careful or bring in a forester or yeah. um you know and you know habitat guy and and uh really evaluate your trees and then you know kind of go from there instead of just you know going crazy with it obviously you got to keep in mind some guys they don't care about future you know timber value and stuff like which that's fine you know if they want just big deer then um you know that's that's kind of their their priority so yeah and that goes back to the managing your expectations because if you let's say you have expectations where you want to sell timber, but you also want to have quality habitat, but you might be ten years away from a harvest. Well, then you you have to kind of manage your expectations and say, well, then this area of the property, you know, in order to have better deer habitat back here, you, we either either you know insert a food plot, you know, insert bedding area, whatever it needs to be. You need to add some sort of cover back here or a food source. And with this standing timber, you're not offering much. And in order to get anything to grow down here, we need to remove some of it but it, it, like the logger is not going to come in here for 10 years so that's where you got to again manage your expectations and say well if you're not willing to 
you know, cut this right now, then, you know, it, it's going to take you more time. And that's okay if you're okay with it, but it's going to take you more time to accomplish your goal. Yeah. Yep. No, for sure. Yep. Managing that, uh, that expectation, I think is huge because, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I get myself in the, the, uh, predicament where, you know, it, it's hard, you know, you see, you see guys out in Iowa or these other states, you know, and, and, you know, they go and cut this little bedding area or put it in this food plot and, you know, they're killing, you know, 160 inch deer and that's just not realistic for, you know, I would say 90% of us, but anyway, that's, yeah. that's a whole other, whole other conversation, but <laughs> yeah, 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 realistic habitat goals are you know, one thing, but yeah, definitely a realistic, I guess, hunting expectations. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a huge topic. Yep. For sure. Yep. For sure. Yeah, well, cool. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on here, Jake. This was fun. For sure, I think we hit on a lot of good topics, and uh, hopefully listeners enjoyed this and uh, got some good takeaways from it. I know it was uh, it was fun. Just It's always fun comparing different, uh, you know, tactics and things we've learned uh, back and forth. So, Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Like you said, I always like talking to other guys who really enjoy habitat work and, and just – improving your property for whitetail and, and trying to create yeah, those, those those hunting snares because you're, you're always learning. That's one thing that, you know, you should always make sure that you're doing is you, you don't ever stop learning. You, you know, you always, you're always trying to take something away from a hunting season. Even if you, you, you shot a deer, a lot of times you take away more from a hunting season where you don't, where you're not successful, but yeah. or just other people's mistakes and failures. Yep, so I, sure. I do, I love like listening to you, and hearing what you, what what you have to say because you you walk a lot of properties as well and so you know, you have a lot of experience so I, I I appreciate the conversation because I always learn a lot when I when I talk to you. <laughs> well, likewise for sure. I've been uh, blessed to uh, have a lot of great opportunities, work with a lot of guys, and have a lot of really cool clients. So for sure, it's definitely cool. <clears throat> I love it. I love learning too. Just like I you know. were saying, it's uh, it's like addicting. You know, it's like what else can I learn? You know, it's like. I think when I go to a property and, and meet a new client, um, you know, obviously they they have me out or have you out or whatever, you know, they want to learn from us. But at the same time, it's like I, I want to try to learn something new on every property I go to because everything's normally, every situation's so different, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, there are general general themes that you're always going to kind of see and you're going to really pick up on those quick. Like the more you do it, the more you pick up on that stuff. But then there's other things like, wait, this seems a little different. Like I wonder, you know, why – why this is happening here and then you, you, you know, i try to figure it out and that's that's the cool part where like, you, you do try to learn on every single property because every property is laid out a little bit different and then yep. that helps you that helps you with the next guy and then the next guy just kind of come itself. yeah for sure yep all right well i won't take any uh, any more of your time appreciate you coming on here again and uh yeah, yeah. we'll have to come back on here again i know i've uh got some other guys lined up to come on here and then uh yeah we'll try to try to do some more different podcasts on kind of these around some different habitat topics and uh we'll keep everybody up to date on what we're doing throughout the season habitat season yeah. <laughs> yeah, i appreciate you having me on and anytime you want to have another conversation i'd be happy to do it awesome sounds good all right take care colin yep well thanks so much guys for tuning into this episode uh, i know i really enjoyed uh talking to jake he's got a a wealth of knowledge and a lot of different experience. It's always great to sit down and chat with them and uh, 
see what different things he's learned over the years and on different properties he's worked on. So be sure to uh, be checking in. I'm going to be doing some more podcasts here soon. I got some cool episodes coming up. And remember to always strive to be a better steward of God's creation. Thanks, guys.